Hello everyone and thank you very much for joining our podcast today. My name is Justin Corliss and I'm a Senior Pensions Intermediary Development and Technical Manager with Royal London and I'm joined today by my colleague Moira Warner who as well as being a Senior Pensions Intermediary Development and Technical Manager at Royal London is also a subject matter expert on public sector pension schemes. And today we are specifically looking at the opportunities to advise independent schools, many of whom are considering leaving the Teachers' Pension Scheme, the TPS, due to the increase in employer contributions that occurred in 2019. So I'll ask Moira a number of questions so that we can get a little firmer grasp on this. Uh, Hi Moira, how are you? Hi, I'm very well, thank you Justin. Thanks for the introduction. That's a pleasure. Um, The increase in employer contributions from September 2019 is hefty. What is the reason for such a significant increase? Well, there are two main reasons for this increase. And the first of these stems from a reduction in the growth rate the government uses to determine the cost today of providing pensions to teachers in the future. And the growth rate they use is known as the superannuation contributions adjusted for past experience rate, or SCAPE for short. That's much less of a mouthful. Hmm. Now, that rate has reduced from 2.8% to 2.4% of teachers' pensionable pay. And that reduction reflects forecasts for a lower long-term rate of GDP growth than previously expected. Now, with a lower growth rate, the cost today of providing benefits in future are going to be higher. And the second reason for the increase is to improve the rate at which teachers' pensions accrue in accordance with the so-called cost cap mechanism. Now, these changes due to members were delayed by the government, while the remedy for unlawful age discrimination, which you might have heard referred to as the McLeod remedy, well, they were scoped out. Now, proposals for that remedy have been consulted on now by the government, but the net impact isn't yet known. Okay. Uh, just before we go any further, um, I, I'm just conscious, obviously, it's, it's quite apparent to yourself. Um, could you just tell our listeners what the increase in the employer pension contribution was for the, for the teacher's pension scheme? Yes, it's increased from 16.4% of pensionable pay to 23.6% of teacher's pensionable pay. Right. That's a, that's a pretty hefty increase, isn't it? It certainly is. Just why schools are so concerned at this time. Yeah, yeah. I, I've heard that central government funding has been made available to state-funded schools, but how are independent schools expected to meet these increased costs? Yes, that's right. Government's providing central funding to maintain schools, further education colleges and certain other institutions, but independent schools are simply having to meet these additional pension costs themselves. And they could do this either through increasing Um, the fees parents pay, freezing recruitment or pay awards, or trying to find efficiency savings elsewhere. So independent schools could potentially find the money elsewhere. But in many cases, though, consultation with members indicates that changing teachers' pension arrangements is the least painful option. Okay. Are advisors making the recommendation that any particular school should leave the teachers' pension scheme? Well, I don't think it's necessarily the role of any advisor to recommend whether or not any particular school should stay or leave TPS. At the end of the day, 
you know, that will depend on the financials of the school in question, the other efficiency options available to it, and the outcome of the consultation with impacted staff. So where a school has decided to leave TPS, what services does the advisor provide? I don't think there's any one particular model which all advisors are following. Um, the services they provide depend very much on the individual school, the way teachers' pension arrangements are being changed in that particular school, and the advisor firm's own business model. It may also depend on whether the school has the resources to engage other sources of professional expertise, such as HR consultants or legal advisors. Okay, so which uh, services have we seen advisors providing in practice? Well, in practice, um, we're aware that some advisors have been engaged solely to conduct a market review and recommend an alternative DC scheme. Whilst, on the other hand, others have been asked to help the client school with its consultation communications or provide member presentations or indeed one-to-one -one guidance. So where the individual school's time frame permits, some advisors have been asked to provide input as to how any new scheme could be structured. In other words, whether it could sit as part of a wider employee benefits package or whether TPS could be retained on a, condition, on a conditional basis in addition to the option of an alternative DC scheme. You know, any advisor engaged in this space will need to decide the services it's willing to provide in accordance with its own risk appetite and either market to schools based on that model or otherwise allow schools to choose from a menu of services. Okay, so a few different options there. Are, th are there any wider opportunities? Yes, um, indeed there are. Beyond the immediate opportunity relating to alternative pension arrangements, leaving TPS means that teachers' death in service and ill health benefits will be impacted. So advisors may want to consider the wider opportunities in providing group or individual protection policies when thinking about whether to become involved in this space. Now, additionally, advisors are going to be well-placed to provide individual guidance or advice to teachers um, who are going to be faced with some difficult decisions in relation to how the unlawful age discrimination is remedied. And finally, the longer-term opportunity to provide guidance or advice to teachers on the appropriate choice of retirement product can also be factored into the equation. Okay, you mentioned just now, Moira, that the services an advisor might be asked to provide can depend on the way teachers' pensions arrangements are being changed. Are independent schools not simply leaving TPS in favour of a DC alternative? Um, well, leaving TPS in favour of a DC alternative certainly seems to be the preferred option so far, based on our experience here at Royal London. But it's not the only option. Schools could simply offer a DC alternative scheme in addition to TPS. But in that case, of course, the cost savings the school makes will depend on the take-up rate of the new DC scheme, and the school will have no control over that. Are there any other um, options Royal London's seen? Yes. Um, schools could choose a more complex type of hybrid solution, whereby teachers are offered continuing access to TPS in return for a reduction in salary. Um, the school can choose the level of salary reduction under this type of structure, but typically the teacher may be asked to take a pay cut equal to the difference between the old employer contribution rate in England and Wales 
and the current increased rate. Okay, what about teachers who can't afford the salary reduction under this hybrid option? So teachers who can't afford or don't want to agree to a salary reduction can opt out of TPS, and in that case, the school pays employer contributions to a DC scheme instead. In this way, regardless of whether the member stays in TPS or opts into the DC alternative, the school caps its pension contributions. And typically, this has been at a rate of 16.4% of teachers' pensionable pay. Okay, you, you've referred to this option capping the employer contribution rate. Surely, if some teachers stay in uh, TPS, there's a, a continuing risk that the pay reduction teachers agree to won't cover any future increases, if, if any were to come. Um, well, yes, that's a fair point, but it will depend really on how the contractual salary reduction is worded. So if appropriate changes are made, staff staying in TPS will potentially eventually bear the risk of any higher future employer contribution rate. And it's really important, to, I should emphasize at this point, that this is a really complex solution and changes imposed unilaterally by an employer at a later date regardless of what may have been previously agreed with members, can be problematic. So I therefore recommend that any school going down this path seek appropriate legal employment law advice. Okay, this sounds like a solution which teachers might consider as a compromise as it allows them continuing access to TPS, albeit at a cost. Are there any disadvantages for the school compared to leaving the teacher's pension scheme altogether? I think it's unlikely that every school will have the resources to implement this complex solution. Firstly, it means they'll need to operate a minimum of two pension scheme for teachers alone, so administrative costs are likely to be higher. Uh, professional fees and advice costs are also likely to be higher. You know, unlike a solution whereby the school exits TPS altogether, it's going to result in what we call a, a mixed economy. And by that I mean that teachers who are otherwise on the same pay grade undertaking light work could be on different benefit structures. And this in turn could result in equalities issues if real care isn't taken. And for this reason, I think it's imperative that schools pursuing this do seek that employment law advice. Now, uh, additionally, the mixed economy solution also requires teachers to decide whether to stay in TPS and take that salary reduction or opt out and join the DC scheme instead. This is also a complex decision and schools might want to consider engaging a financial advisor to provide guidance or advice to staff to help them with this complex decision. Okay, in the, in the private sector, employers have increasingly moved towards pension provision as a part of an employee benefits package. Have any independent schools looked at this option that you're aware of? Uh, yes, in fact they have. We're aware that a number of schools are looking to install a new DC arrangement as part of a FlexBenz package. And under the type of structure we've seen, teachers are entitled to benefits up to a specified threshold, which typically seems to be the old TPS employer contribution rate of 16.4%. 
Now, teachers receive a minimum employer contribution, which is decided by the school, and are able to take the balance up to that 16.4, or whatever threshold the school decides, either as a top-up employer pension contribution, or as additional pay, or other benefits chosen by the school. And this option, we feel, might appeal to teachers in schools with higher proportions of younger teachers, or in schools where they've got a larger number of opt-outs for affordability reasons. But regardless of this, the number of opt-outs, um, teachers at any independent school could well find the additional flexi flexibility you know, really attractive. Okay, we've talked about schools leaving the teachers' pension scheme. Are they able to keep TPS, the teachers' pension scheme, for existing members, but offer an alternative to new to new teachers joining? Oh, at this precise moment in time, that's actually not an option under teachers' pensions regulations, but, and it's a big but, following consultation, the Department for Education has recently announced that it intends pressing ahead with proposals to allow this so-called phased withdrawal option from spring 2021. And these changes will allow independent schools in England and Wales to close access to TPS to new entrants while retaining access for existing members as at the date the school undertakes its phased withdrawal. Of course, under this option, schools are only going to realise cost debt savings, though, through staff turnover. Nor indeed will this solution address the financial risk to schools from any future increase in employer pension contributions. So for many, although it's a good development, it still might not be a viable option for some schools. And just a one further point, um, we've referred specifically to England and Wales here. Um, these developments do relate to England and Wales only. I haven't heard yet whether Scotland or Northern Ireland intend consulting on similar changes. Okay, thanks for, for clearing that up in particular. Um, moving on from looking at options for schools to address their, their pension costs, perhaps we could um, look now at some of the pros and cons. If a school does decide to leave TPS in favour of an alternative pension arrangement, are there any potential disadvantages for it? Yes, indeed there are. Changes to teachers' contracts are likely to be required, and the school may incur costs for this. It should also sensibly engage the services of a financial advisor who will be best equipped to search the market for the most appropriate workplace pension, and there may be costs associated with this advice as well. Um, a consultation period is normally going to be required, so the school should allow sufficient time for this and to give notice of changes to teachers' contracts. But perhaps most importantly, teachers are going to lose access to valuable government-backed defined benefits in respect of service going forward, and this potentially could put the school at a disadvantage in the recruitment market. Obviously, that the risk of that is going to reduce as more and more independent schools seek to address this pension cost challenge by leaving TPS. Okay, commentators would, would generally take the view that a DC scheme will not normally provide benefits of equal value to those a teacher would get under the TPS based on reasonable assumptions. Is there any upside for a teacher from a DC scheme compared to being part of TPS? 
Yes, perhaps surprisingly, there are in fact some potential positives. You know, perhaps one of the most obvious of these is the method of giving tax relief. Now, TPS is a net pay scheme, meaning that members who don't earn a taxable income don't benefit from tax relief on, on their contributions. Under a DC scheme, tax relief could be given by the relief at source method, and that in turn would mean that part-time teachers not earning a taxable income would also benefit from that tax relief. On the flip side, of course, though, teachers paying higher rate or additional rate tax would need to claim this um, back from HMRC. A DC scheme could also operate on an optional salary exchange basis, which means that those earning above the primary threshold could benefit from national insurance savings on their contributions. Uh, what about teachers who are currently opted out of the teachers' pension scheme? Could a new DC scheme give them the incentive to start saving again for their retirement? Yes, I, I do think that's potentially the case. The contributions teachers currently pay to the teachers' scheme um, are set by regulation. And although the rate they pay at is based on what they earn, some younger teachers in particular do consider their personal contributions unaffordable. So moving to a DC scheme allows a school to determine the employee, the employee, I beg your pardon, contribution structure in a way which minimizes opt-outs. This could mean, for example, setting the minimum employee contribution rate below the rates which apply under TPS, or perhaps allowing teachers to opt for some extra cash in their pay packet in lieu of a maximum specified proportion of the school's employer pension contribution. And on a wider level, any consultation on changing pension arrangements is likely to stimulate debate amongst staff. And that of itself could encourage some individuals who are currently opted out to re-engage with the idea of saving retirement. Yeah, good point. Um, what about the flexibility of a DC scheme? Do you think that there's any value to teachers in being able to choose how to take their benefits? Yes, I think there are a number of ways in which having access to cash from age 55 could complement teachers' um, teacher scheme-defined benefits. So, firstly, um, only the normal pension age 60 final salary scheme provides an automatic lump sum. So teachers wanting to maximize their tax-free cash are obliged to commute their valuable index-linked pension at a fixed rate of 12 to 1 in order to do so, and that rate is fixed no matter the age of retirement. Now, that 12 to 1 rate doesn't look particularly attractive for teachers retiring at 60 or 65 with a normal life expectancy. So a DC fund will give access to cash without teachers having to make that poor value exchange. Secondly, access to cash can help facilitate early retirement. You know, it's particularly useful um, where the top-up income is required over a limited period. And this might happen, for example, where a teacher has final salary benefits with perhaps a normal pension age of 60 or 65, and over and above that, career average benefits with a normal pension age of, let's say, age 66. A teacher could retire at age 60, taking their final salary benefits in full, and then use a DC pot to top up their income until they reach age 66, when their career average benefits come into payment also in full.
So the DC pot helps the teacher avoid having to take an actuarial reduction to their career average benefits by claiming them early. Yeah, and you can certainly see that appealing to 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 a to a good proportion, and and of course there are some less teacher specific ad- advantages, aren't there? Being able to access cash without having to retire to do so, and the ability to cascade this ed- element of their pension wealth to their beneficiaries in a tax efficient way will also be of potential benefit to teachers. It sounds as though schools thinking of implementing a new DC scheme need to ensure they carefully explain what such a scheme can do for their teaching staff? Yes, that's absolutely spot on. The potential advantages and disadvantages need to be set out in a really clear and balanced way. And this can be done as part of consultation or you know, in presentations, face-to-face guidance, etc. And schools are likely to need help understanding the relevant issues. Okay, can we now talk uh, a bit about consultation? Surely schools can't have already decided to leave TPS before consulting with their teaching staff? Well, meaningful consultation, sort of in parenthesis there, um, (laughs) requires that the school keeps an open mind about whether the pension cost savings are strictly necessary, and if they are, how those cost savings should be made. But equally, As part of consultation, affected staff must be given sufficient information to enable them to consider and give their views on the impact the change is likely to have on them. And realistically, no teacher is going to be able to make such an assessment unless the school has set out the way in which it's thinking of changing arrangements. Yeah, in other words, then, as part of meaningful consultation, the school will uh, need to explain uh, whether it's going to opt out of TPS altogether, and if so, the alternative pension, um, or whether the alternative pension is part of a flexible benefits package, whether it's looking at a hybrid option, or whether it's looking at other alternatives we may not have come across so far at, at Royal London. Yes, that's right. Uh, Teachers won't be able to understand the potential impact on them unless the alternative the school is thinking of is absolutely clear. And depending on the legal advice the school has received, this may even mean that a preferred provider or a shortlist of providers has been selected by the time the consultation takes place because this in turn means that, subject to teacher agreement of course, that plans need to be well advanced by the time meaningful consultation takes place. Um, Some schools have found it helpful to engage in pre-consultation discussions with their teachers, so sort of um, by way of a survey or or more informal consultation. And this helps them to understand what is and what isn't important to teachers in the shape of their benefits package. And the results of this more informal process can then be used to help inform the solution which is formally consulted upon at a later date. Yeah, that, that seems to make a lot of sense to, to get an idea initially of, of what the, 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 the membership of, of, of that school are, are really looking for to shape your benefits around that. Um, okay, now let's um, move on to, to explore how a school should set about choosing a new scheme. There are a number of different off-the-shelf solutions available to schools looking to exit the teacher's pension scheme. Why should schools shop around for a new scheme? 
Well, the arguments for shopping around um, are broadly the same as those that would apply to an individual, perhaps shopping around for the best drawdown product or mortgage deal. Um, quite simply, shopping around will allow a school to find the best value solution that meets the needs of their teaching staff. And it will be hard for a school to demonstrate to its staff that it's done that, that it's found the best solution for them, if it can't show that either it or its advisor has considered a number of options and explained the criteria used in making the eventual selection. And from an employer perspective, the school's employer pension contributions are a significant investment in the future financial well-being of their staff. You know, this isn't a small amount of money we're talking about. No. And that's going to remain the case even if a school leaves TP. Um, so sensibly, the staff will want, or the school rather, will want its staff to understand and value that ongoing investment. So it might want to consider implementing a scheme that's going to provide bespoke communications, allowing the school perhaps to keep its own identity. And off-the-shelf solutions simply aren't likely to facilitate this kind of bespoking. No, good point. It, it seems obvious that member charges will be one of the cr key criteria that schools should consider. Uh, yes, of course. You know, every penny that's paid in charges is a penny less in members' pension pots. Goes without saying. It does. But you know, that said, value for members isn't determined solely by how much members pay for a, um, for a provider to manage their pension funds in hard pounds and pence. It's also determined by the range and quality of services the member gets for those pounds and pence. So, for example, we need to be thinking in terms of the quality of the provider's communications, quality of the member's support, you know, online services or app access. You know, these are all factors which will help the school decide on the scheme that offers the best value to members in the round. If the off-the-shelf solution that they might be looking at is a multi-employer scheme, it may have charges which reflect the profile of teachers in other schools. So better value for any particular school may be obtained by shopping around and looking at schemes which are priced based on the profile of the particular school in question. And as is the case um, with other workplace pension schemes, the provider's range of investment options will, will surely also be important. Yes, that's right. You know, the pr provider's ESG and range of ethical investments or Sharia compliant funds um, may be important to teachers in some schools more than others. A school's only going to know the relative importance of all of these sort of social factors um, and indeed other factors to teachers if it engages with them in a truly genuine and sincere process. And as we've already mentioned, this could include pre-consultation discussions or surveys. It certainly sends, seems to, to lend itself to that pre-consultation, doesn't it? Absolutely, if there's a, if the time frame allows. Yes, of course, of course. Um, what about access to pension freedoms? Does the fact that teachers have defined benefits guaranteed by the government make any difference to the range of options which schools should be looking at for a new scheme? You know, as any change to pension arrangements is likely to be unpopular with staff, 
a school do well to look at alternatives which give teachers as much flexibility as possible because that's going to look like a positive. Um, beyond that, I do think schools will need to look carefully at the age profile and length of service of their teaching staff and to make some educated judgments about how a DC alternative is likely to be used. So, for example, um, logic suggests that in the early years, older groups with significant accrued defined benefit rights in the teacher scheme and smaller DC pots are perhaps more likely than average to take their DC benefits as cash. Makes sense. Yep. And where this is a likely outcome, schools should be choosing a scheme that doesn't apply restrictions or limits to cash withdrawals. Yeah, it makes complete sense, doesn't it? Um, you, you mentioned that any change to pension arrangements is likely to be unpopular with staff. Uh, will shopping around ensure teachers accept changes to their pension arrangements? Well, I do think it's worth just stepping back a minute and putting ourselves in teachers' shoes. You know, teachers' pensions have undergone significant changes over a period of time, with the most recent structural overhaul in 2015 resulting in unlawful age discrimination, which has not yet been remedied. Employee contributions have also gone up over time, particularly for those on higher than average salaries. So. It's all part of a process and teaching staff are a bit weary of all the change and are suspicious that further change is likely to be overwhelmingly detrimental. It's totally understandable. Yeah. And removal of access to the teacher's pension scheme by the school could quite simply be perceived as the final straw if it isn't the whole issue isn't approached sensitively and with care. So it's imperative the school engages with its staff and really tries to take on board feedback where it can from that consultation process. And when setting out the proposed alternative as part of that consultation, an employer who can demonstrate that it's taken advice from a professional who knows what they're doing, who can demonstrate that it's shopped around to get the best value scheme, and who sets out the pros and cons clearly and fairly, is more likely to gain member engagement and ultimately the acceptance the school is looking for than one who's simply taken an off-the-shelf solution. Yeah, yeah, people generally speaking don't like change, they don't like uncertainty, so anything that can be done to, to reduce that is, is always going to <clears throat> be a positive thing. I, I, I guess genuine consultation is key. Yes, absolutely, Justin. Genuine and sincere consultation is absolutely key. Right. Well, Moira, that, that's the end of the time that we've got now. Thank you very much for that. I think that was a really insightful and, and helpful explanation of, of a lot of the key issues around um, the, the, the issues facing uh, independent schools and, and the advisors trying to advise uh, these schools as well. Um, thank you very much for your time. And uh, I look forward to speaking to you on a, on a similar subject again soon. Thank you, Justin.